<laughs> we're going to read the scripture. I'm going to read, as we normally do, the four, the four verses we're going to be looking at this morning in Luke chapter 21, and then I'm going to pray for us one more time as we look at these four truly wonderful verses this morning. So read with me, would you? Luke records, Jesus looked up, and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we once again thank you, Lord, we thank you that even in this time in history that you know all about, uh, we're glad, Lord, that we can still even gather in the way that we are here this morning, just the few of us who are safely gathered here this morning, but also to be able to broadcast online to our church and to others to, to be with us in this way and to uh, worship together to worship you. Lord, I just think of all those songs we sang this morning. Lord, if we would just have sung those songs and prayed as we did, but also prayed some more after that, that would suffice this morning to give our hearts encouragement to have it come and worshiped you. But Lord, we're going to look at your word because that's what you call us to do. And so Lord, I pray especially from these simple, simple words, this true story that took place on the eve, literally, of Passover and Jesus's crucifixion. This story is recorded, so it's important. I pray that you would teach us from it, Holy Spirit, this morning in a way that I can't. So I pray that you would uh, elevate these words and you would teach us. I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So I have a very interesting sermon title for you this morning. And then three points that I hope to unpack for you from this text. The sermon title is, um, The End of Religion 1.0. Remember that. Three points, hope to see today and show you Jesus is watching, number one, number two, what Jesus actually sees, and then number three, what Jesus is looking for on this day and to this day. So it's been an incredible week. Uh, you know this. We've been studying for probably four weeks, four Sundays now, maybe five, uh, the last week of Jesus' earthly life before He dies on the cross. And so we know that there was the triumphal entry, or, or at least that's what they call it, on, on, on Palm Sunday where he came in on the, on the foal of a donkey, on a colt, to, to the great acclaim of the people who, who were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And, and their hope, of course, is that this man, this miracle worker, was going to be the Messiah, the one who would overrule and overtake the evil Roman Empire. And of course, it's, it's uh, Passover week. So, so Jerusalem is packed, some experts say up to a million, a million five people in that small town in that day, uh, that village, and that would be a combination of tourists and worshipers. And by the way, they're not exactly the same thing, but they're there, thousands of them on that particular week. And so we know from the very beginning that the moment Jesus arrives in town, tension is applied. The very first thing that we see Jesus do is that as He comes through the gates, through the acclaim of the people, that dies down, and then He finally comes over a hill and He sees the city. And what does Jesus do? He weeps. The Greek word literally implies that He wept uncontrollably. And so you would, you would think, well, he, he's, 
He's weeping because he knows that on Friday they're going to crucify him. Today it's Hosanna, Hosanna. Friday it's crucify him, crucify him. But it's more than that. He's looking at this city, the city that is supposed to be the city of God for the people, not, of Israel, not just of Israel, but the people of the world. And his heart is broken. And so he's weeping because they have been unfaithful and because the, there's no shepherds for the people. But he's also weeping because he knows. He knows that in 35 years, approximately, this city will be laid to rubble. The temple will be laid to rubble and destroyed. And so that's why he's weeping. Well, then the tension really mounts. He goes into the temple, and of course, you know what he did? He turned over the tables of the money changers. He's cleansing his temple. He's riling up the religious dudes when he does that, because he is literally, quite frankly, at this point in time, a bit ticked. He's angry. He literally tells them that, look, look at this temple, my temple, is supposed to be a house of prayer. He calls it my temple, because it is, by the way. They don't necessarily agree, and so the religious leaders get really, really annoyed at him again, and they start asking questions, and the first question they ask him is, just who do you think you are? Well, they, they question his authority, right? They question, how is it that you think you are the person who can come into our temple, into our pulpit, and preach these things? And do these things. Turn over all the commerce that we have going on here. Well, then Jesus drops a parable on them about some wicked tenants who were supposed to be looking after things while the master is away. And of course, they pick up on the idea that, you know what, he's talking about them. They get more upset, more angry. And so, so they, they send some spies to track him for a few hours, and, and they just like find something that we can, like we need to find something where we can get either the people against him or we can get the Roman uh, officials against him because we've got to get rid of him. Passover's coming, Good Friday's, I mean, Friday's coming. They didn't call it Good Friday, obviously. Sabbath is coming. We've got to get rid of this guy. And so they come up with this great idea. They're going to ask him this question. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? <laughs> They figured they'd really cornered him at this point, right? You remember that? A few weeks ago, we looked at that. Well, Jesus being Jesus replies and goes, let me see a coin. Whose image is on this coin? And they, of course, reply, well, it's Caesar's. And so Jesus says, well, here's what you need to do. Render, which means pay back to Caesar. What is Caesar's? (laughs) Then he adds something they they weren't really expecting. He tells them that they need to render to God the things that are God's. Totally confuses them, totally settles the issue. They, they've got nothing to hang him on. So now, now it's down to the Sadducees. They, they take their shot at him asking about the resurrection, which they don't believe in, but the Pharisees do. He settles that question. He then asks them a question about whose uh, son David might be. And then last week, as we saw as part of that in Rudy's message, Jesus takes one really, really good swipe at the scribes Uh, calling them what nobody in that day uh, wouldn't have thought of them, hypocrites. And so the tension is clearly, clearly mounting. We're about 36 hours away from Friday. And we arrive at our text for today. This little text right here, right now. So number one, Jesus is watching. I'll put the first two verses on screen for you. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. Mark's gospel, the other gospel that records this 
event, he, he adds a little bit to the story, a little a detail to the story. I want to show you what he says. He says in verse 41, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. And so I, I've said this before, and I, I know you would, will probably agree. I love the nuances in Scripture. The reason why we have four different Gospels is not because they contradict each other. It's because the writers are writing from different perspectives and trying to highlight different things about Jesus' life and ministry. And some of them were eyewitnesses, some of them like Luke not. And so they got what they heard from other people. And so they're writing the details as they best recall them or as the Holy Spirit inspires them. And so what we learn from Mark is that Jesus took a seat across from the treasury, the place where the tithes and offering of the people were placed in the temple. And so as I've said, it's just hours away from his crucifixion. It's been a very busy few days, as I've also highlighted, so we shouldn't be surprised to read that Jesus needs to rest. <laughs> he takes a seat. He's fully God, but he's also fully human, and he sits down and and, and as I said, hours away, he decides that this is something important to see for himself, but more importantly, for his disciples, and therefore, through the Holy Spirit, you and I here today. It's that important. So, first and foremost, I think we need to see this. Jesus is watching. He's watching. He's watching people, look at, he's, he's looking at them, he's just watching people enter the temple on that day. Nothing escapes his attention. And here's the key, which we've seen many, many times in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus, God, sees everything. Not, not only what visually is going on in front of him, but we also know this. He knows our hearts. He knows the thoughts in our minds. And every time I highlight that, I say the same thing. It's frightening, if you think about it. On the other hand, the true upside of that is truly understanding that if that is true, and it is, then he knows everything that's going on in our lives to the minutest detail, and he truly cares. And he knows exactly when, when to help us, and he knows exactly what we need, especially if we are to turn to Him. And so it's a beautiful thing, Him knowing everything and knowing everything there is to know about us. But, it, but it's His observation that is key here. And so I don't know if you've ever done this before, uh, and during COVID it's probably a pretty hard thing to do, but I've done this many times, particularly uh, pre-ministry and in my business life. But many times I would go to a mall because somebody I, I know personally would be shopping. I'm not saying... Um, and, and, you know, like, or an airport. I used to do this in an airport when I was traveling in business as well. You know, you grab a latte, uh, you grab a paper or your iPhone and, and your, your smartphone, and you, then you sit down. And so oftentimes what I would do is just put the paper down, put the phone down. I know it's hard for me. It's harder for you too. Um, and, and, and you just watch. You just watch people. And in my work, in my profession at that time, that was important to observe people and, and to see what was going on as they were uh, walking about. Um, just watching human behavior and interactions that, frankly, you would notice range from happy and joyful to confused to sometimes frustrated and outright angry. Right? You can see it all on display in people. It's bizarre. And, and sometimes the people who show up happy end up, you know what I'm saying, like if you've seen these things, maybe I'm the weird person doing these things, but you should try it sometime. It's quite amazing. 
to see what you see. Plus, as we all know today, our phones, or should I say those behind the phones in the apps on our phones, are watching us too, if not visually. Wait a sec. Maybe they are. You conspiracy theory people out there. But listen, they are. Via every linger over an image, over a text, and certainly via every click. So the question I always ask, and those who are observing us all the time are asking, is this. Why? It's the why question. Why do men and women behave the way that they do, which leads to the most revealing aspect of human nature, which is what they want to get to? It's called motivation. What makes us tick? What makes us react? What makes us buy or sell or not what they want to sell us? Well, Jesus, on the other hand, wants us to learn something much more important about ourselves and about our motivations And thankfully, for good reasons, 100% good reasons. So, Jesus is watching. More importantly, number two, what Jesus sees. Put the first two verses back on screen for you, just for reference. Um, It's rather simple, I think, as you look at these verses to see what Jesus saw, isn't it? I mean... The words are highlighted, you can see it, it's just, it's simple English, it's a simple narrative recording of a story. He saw rich people putting their gifts into the offering jars. And Mark adds that many of the rich put in large sums of money, large gifts, and so he notes that. And then after they paraded past, many of them, by the looks of it, paraded past the offering jars, a poor widow appears on the scene, she drops in two small copper coins. And so that is it in a nutshell, really. But of course, we know or should know there's lots more going on here, much more going on in the story. So what's going on? That's the question. What's going on that I'm asking? What does Jesus see? I know what I see. I know what you might be seeing. And we can assume certain things, but what, in fact, is Jesus seeing? Well, first and foremost, he's seeing religious people, religious people, do what they do, right? We've seen this repeatedly in the Gospels. Um, The temple treasury where they're coming past, as it was called, was an entryway along along which had a series of 13 brass jars, very uh, large jars. They had sort of a trumpet flute opening at the top that went down into a box that had a very large uh, chamber at the bottom that was usually locked in a box. And, and of course, this brass uh, container would make uh, make a noise right? when, when you put coins inside it, right? That was kind of the idea. I don't think uh, like with the tabernacle, Jesus or God ever gave any, any, any indication of how those jars should, should be made exactly in that way. I mean, there were some indications, but the idea that they made a noise was, was pretty cool, of course, as far as these people were concerned. So here's the thing. In the case of the rich and wealthy and religious, there was a lot of clanging going on, right? when they dropped their tithe into the trumpet box, into the opening, into the offering jar. And that, of course, was the point. For many of them, it was all about, hey, look at me. Did you hear that? (laughs) Did you hear that? Because if you didn't see me, you would all of a sudden look around because of the clang and the noise, and you would see me. We know that was partly true for many of them. So secondly, then, there's this poor widow and her two small copper 
I, I want to draw a picture for you of what those might look like. I don't know if you, any of you did this um, years ago. I, I did as a kid, but we used to take copper pennies, right? Anybody do this? You take them up to the railway tracks and you lay them on the tracks and then you wait for the train to come by, right? And I remember the first time we did that, I thought, we're going to cause a crash. <laughs> I thought, like a penny could do that, right? But no. Uh, so what happens? The, tr the train goes by, absolutely squishes the coins, and, and then you, you run up after the train's gone past. And, and you look for your coins. Sometimes you don't find them, but you, do, you generally do. And what's happened? They are wafer thin. They're really, really, really tiny. Now, picture this. Picture you cut them into four pieces, you know, into half and then to half again. And then you take two of them. This is what we've got here. It's almost exactly what we have here, and almost exactly related to the value. You know how much a, a, a half a penny is worth? That's approximately what these two small copper coins in that day were worth. So in other words, it's a pittance. It's, come on, it's, some of us would think it's hardly worth giving, right? And so, of course, you know what would happen when she would come by following these people and she would drop her two little wafer-thin coins into those jars. How much of that do you think they heard? Not much, if anything at all. And yet, Jesus sees that. And he wants to draw our attention to it. So he saw the rich giving large amounts and this poor woman giving her two small copper coins, which by comparison were monetarily speaking next to nothing. And so that's what everyone else on that day probably saw. Most of them probably just ignored her. No one heard her. She was not on display. And yet Jesus saw her. And you know what? We could read that and we could say, well, that's all there is to see. If it wasn't for the fact that Jesus adds these words. He then says to his disciples, who are with him, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more, watch these words, than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So this is interesting. Clearly, her two small coins did not literally amount to more than all of the offerings of the rich. I mean, think about it. Jesus is not saying uh, more than each of them individually, but of all of them collectively is what he's saying he is seeing, or he wants at least us to see. And then he, of course, explains the rationale. They gave out of their wealth. They've got lots of money. And they gave out of their wealth, and she gave out of her poverty. And then look, she gave all that she had. So let's take this a little bit further. They gave a portion of their wealth. She gave all that she had out of her poverty. And so come on. That's a huge, huge Comparison. Massive. Mark, Mark actually extends it when he records it. He says these words, but she out of her poverty has put everything she had, all that she had to live on. So listen, at the end of the day, what we should conclude here is that when she comes in and she drops those two wafer thin little copper coins into that jar, at the end of the day, when she leaves church on that Sunday or on that Sabbath day, guess what? 
She's broke. Is there any other conclusion? I don't think there is. So listen, if you've ever heard a message on this text before, here it comes, right? If you've ever heard a message, I have, I'm sure most of you have, a message on this text before, it would often be at this very point uh, that the meaning of the story, the application of the story for you and for me would be the preacher letting us know that this is all about tithes and offerings, right? Okay? Do you think we should go there today? You're all so excited, right? You want me to do that, right? Well, I'm not going to do that, at least not yet. And here's the big why. That's not the only thing, not the only thing that Jesus is seeing, comparing, or most importantly, concerned about. If we look at verses 3 and 4 again closely, what we do not see is Jesus in any way denouncing the rich people. He's not saying to them, they didn't give enough. He's, He's just simply saying they gave out of their abundance. Which was, I mean, we conclude, he's saying, well, that was easy for them. But he's not saying they weren't faithful, that they did not, in fact, tithe. He's not saying that at all. So he's not denouncing them. Or, frankly, he's not really, listen, really giving praise to the woman for giving it all away. He's acknowledging it, for sure. So what we could do is assume that this is a comparison about their hearts, right? And that's true to an extent. The rich are just all these hypocrites. Jesus has just been talking about them being this, these scribes and these religious people. They're these hypocrites putting on a show, which is what religious people do who desire to look righteous compared to this truly righteous woman who, like every good Christian, you know, should give all that they've got every Sunday and go home broke. Amen? Pass the hat. No. That's not the gospel, is it? That, that's, that's not what's being taught here, really. Certainly not what Jesus expects of us. So what then is Jesus getting at? What does he see and what does he want to show us? Well, it comes back to that word I highlighted for you earlier, motivation. It's about motivation. Jesus wants to see us to see what is motivating the characters in this story. He wants us to see what he also sees, which is their hearts, their hearts. And so with that in mind, what motivations do you think Jesus sees as he watches them all? Well, it's easy with the rich for us to assume that their motivation, what it is and that it's bad, that it's not good. We've, We've highlighted it a few times. I have again this morning, but let's be careful here. We've got to be careful because again, oftentimes the scribes, the Pharisees thrown under the bus, they're the bad guys, Jesus, good guy, end of story, right? Got to be careful, otherwise we will not also see our own hearts potentially here. Certainly, if they are motivated to give simply to be seen, to be giving, simply to to be seen, to be righteous before God and before the people, look at us, how holy we are, clang, clang. If that's the case, then yes, clearly, Jesus would not be impressed and would agree with us that that is bad and wrong. But then again, if they honestly believed, as many Jews in that day did, that the keeping of the law of God, which included tithing, which was required by God in order for a person to be accepted and approved by God, well then, this is not that bad. They're doing what they're supposed to do. Motivation and heart, another thing. And so you see, 
many of them honestly also believe this, and many of you know that. They believe that wealth and prosperity was actually a sign that God was accepting and approving of them. This was God's blessing. They also knew what Proverbs teached, taught about teaches, taught about poverty as well. I'll give you some examples. It warns that laziness will lead to being poor. Proverbs 24, 33, and 34 say, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. It speaks about following wild dreams, you know, pyramid schemes, and various other things, and ideas of our hearts to, will likewise lead to poverty. In 28, 19, it says, Those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty, as will failing to heed wise advice. Yeah, I don't know if you should invest in that. Yeah, bitcoins are awesome, but just be careful, right? Proverbs 13, 18 says, poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction. So we should be careful, I think, not to judge them too harshly, despite the fact that they are wrong about many things, but especially the important fact, which is this. With God, forgiveness, acceptance, approval cannot come by what we do or how much we give. It only comes through the grace of God. It only comes through what Jesus has done. So sadly, and this might surprise you at this point, but ultimately what Jesus sees, I believe, here in this moment is one motivation that he has been wanting his disciples to learn to avoid for the past two years. He's been preaching on this since Luke chapter 4. Look at Luke chapter 12 again, the parable of the rich fool, which ends in verse 34, right? With, for where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's constantly preaching about money, about money. It's the one thing that he teaches them will derail their lives and their ministry and the mission that they and we are all called to. That one thing is the love of money, the pursuit of wealth, which comes from a heart of greed. So why? Because that motivation will lead to one of the most important things that we need to see in this text today that's not obvious. That motivation of heart in the unbeliever and the believer will lead to injustice and oppression of those who are truly poor. Where do we get that from, do you think? Well, let me show you the two verses preceding what we looked at this morning where Jesus railed on the scribes, the Pharisees, and the religious dudes who are giving all their money today or a portion of their money today. He said this, remember? Beware of the scribes. So it's not just these religious people, but beware of people like this, is what Jesus is saying, who like to walk around in long robes and love me, greetings in the marketplace and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honors at feasts, watch this, who devour Widows' houses for a pretense and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So what is this all about? Well, it's about something that was going on in that day that goes on today. These uh, religious hypocrites, these leaders in the Jewish faith, were actually getting rich largely, largely on the backs of widows, on the poor, those who had estates. Ever watched late night television? You know, the the charlatans that plead for your money and and promise you health, wealth, and prosperity? 
You know who some of the biggest donors and the largest amount of money who gives to those and whose kids are concerned because they're spending their estates and giving to these, these men, these charlatans, widows, elderly, men and women. Oh, oh, and, and these, these, these late-night preachers, what are, they, what are they doing with that money? They're helping the poor, right? No. They're buying mansions, fancy cars, and hey, let's throw in the odd Learjet. That's what was happening in this day. And that's what Jesus sees, listen, two days before his death, burial, and resurrection. So as for the poor widow's motivation, let's think about that. Listen, even if it was possibly true that she felt obligated and pressured to give it all, it's possible. But I think most theologians and commentators would agree, as I do, that that's not the case. I mean, the reality is she, she knew that they were only giving a portion. She could have only given her tithe. And she would have been good with God. No. She showed her generosity towards God because I have a sense she believed this. She believed it with her whole heart. I can give away all I need for this week because you know what? He'll provide me with two more copper coins this week and the next week and the next week, and the next week. I think we can believe that Jesus wanted us to see that about her. In conclusion, let's look at point number three, what Jesus is actually looking for. Out of this story, in Mark's retelling of the story, he tells us that Jesus was watching the story unfold, and he called his disciples, as I've alluded to already, to him, because he wanted to explain to them specifically what was going on here. He wanted them to see what was going on, to learn from it, so that after he is dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended, and they are the ones going out into this world, that they will remember, don't seek after money, guys. But they'll also learn from this. He wanted them to learn that what was about to happen in a few days was going to change everything, certainly their lives. It was literally going to change the world. The plan of God since the fall in the garden, which was to redeem and restore all things, was now to enter a brand new phase, a brand new phase under a new covenant. And that was God's goal that he had in mind from the beginning when he chose the people of Israel to be his people and he would be their God. But unfortunately, the people of Israel turned it into their religion, exclusively their religion, a religion that was just for them and not for those people, not for those people. But at the coming of Jesus, with the arrival of the kingdom of God, that religion was about to end. Or maybe should we should see it this way. Jesus came to redeem and to restore it to what God actually had in mind. James, the brother of Jesus, tells us that that's true. The only time the word religion is used in the New Testament is in James, chapter 1, verse 27, where James tells us what religion 2.0 looks like. And he says this, religion, that is look, pure, that's called motivation. Pure and undefiled from a righteous heart before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. It's not, it's not just that. This, this is to visit the oppressed, to, to, to visit the needy, to visit the sick, to visit your brother and sister. 
and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Oh, yeah, let's just add that in there as an addendum. It's beautiful. So what is Jesus looking for? Well, in his church, he's looking for men and women who will do what he has commanded them to do. That's what he's looking for, men and women who will do, to go and make disciples of all nations, and in doing that, model him in every way, including what we do with our blessings, our wealth for the sake of the poor, giving our blessings and our wealth to others, and being about the, the sake of others, which is what Jesus did throughout his whole life. Like, I, I want you to remember, I'm going to leave these words on screen with you as we close today, the words of the Apostle Paul that make this whole thing so clear, and really, I believe, point to this story 36 hours before Je- Jesus' death. In 2 Corinthians 8-9, we read these words of the Apostle Paul, for you know... Christian, the grace of our Lord. You you know His unmerited favor. You know what He did on your behalf that you couldn't do for yourself. You know that, right? That That though He was rich, was God. Yet for your sake He became poor. Look at this. So that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Spiritually rich, right? It's not a prosperity gospel. Let me just highlight that. This is spiritually rich. So friends, let me say this this morning. Since Jesus is watching you and me, and he's watching over our church as we gather and as we scatter, the question then is this. What does he see? What does he not see? Well, let me suggest this. This week, if you really want to know the answer to that question then ask him this, Lord, as you look at my life and all the things that you have blessed me with, what do you see me doing with it? And what do you see me not doing with it? And and this includes your time, your talent, and yes, your treasure, your money, my money. So make that between you and Jesus, personally, And I promise you this, I believe that if you ask that of him personally and privately and honestly, if that is the true motivation of your heart that you hear from him, he will respond, he will tell you, and if you listen to what he tells you, you will be more blessed than you ever have been in your life, and you will be one who goes and blesses others. Pray with me, would you?